right, good morning. Welcome back to Free Money Free. We are here for another week. I guess I don't know if it's morning when you're listening. So whatever time of day it is that you're <laughs> listening, if it's good afternoon or good evening, uh, I guess I'll say that to you as well. But it is morning here. It's Monday morning for us. We are roughly 24 hours removed from our services yesterday. Of course, we had a, a great harvest festival just talking about that this morning. I'm thankful to God for all the ways he provided for our church. And so, just a good day yesterday, and now we're, we're coming up here on Acts 5, 12 to 42. Uh, a significant passage, certainly in the life of the church. So, Jim, um, I, I think, you know, the way we usually start, I think, is appropriate to start again this morning. Um, as you think about the passage, what is it that sticks out most to you? What is it that you've been convicted by or challenged by or encouraged by? So, as you have 24 hours to kind of chew on that, where, where are you landing with Acts 5, 12 to 42? Wow, you know, just... Um just thinking about the tenacity of the disciples is just remarkable that I think I've, I mean, this is a pretty familiar passage, but I think there were a couple of things that just really hit me in a way that hadn't hit me before. Like in verse 21, where it says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach like first thing in the morning after right. being arrested. Right. They weren't waiting around. Yeah. They're, they're right back at it. And then in verse 42, where it says every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Like, that is just a strong, resolute dedication to the work that they had felt called to do. Right. Especially after everything that just happened to them, like at great risk to their lives. Right. Like, it didn't deter them an ounce you know, and I just like that just was just like, wow, that is that's just amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that stuck out to me most in the passage too is just the courage of the disciples and apostles. Um but, you know, I don't know. It's just it's interesting how it, it's I don't think they're going out of their way to get in trouble, but they're clearly not trying to avoid it in any way whatsoever. Um you know, verse in verses 29 through 32, when they asked Peter, you know, hey, we told you not to speak in his name, yet you're filling the teaching with his name. Are you trying to call this man's blood on our head? And he's like, basically, yep. Like, you put him to death. God raised him from the dead. The God of our fathers, which he's clearly appealing to this idea that their their Jewish faith, right? These Jewish right. leaders. He's saying the God of our fathers raised Jesus. In other words, the one that you worship, he's the one who raised Jesus. This isn't separate from your Judaism. This is a fulfillment of that. Like so he's he's I'm not saying he's trying to poke the bear, but at the same level, he's not trying to not poke the bear, right? Like he's he's definitely afraid to he's definitely not afraid to say what he feels like needs right. to be said. He's not backing off. He's not backing off. And so yeah the the wording in verse 42, I agree, is interesting. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Right. Right, there's just some intentionality with that language, that it was every day and it was from house to house, and they did not cease teaching right. or preaching that Jesus is a Christ. Right. That's, it's pretty remarkable, actually. Right. You know, the thing that I was... I was it's just something that I've been chewing on is, uh, and maybe this is a question as well as what does that look like today? Um, because the, the, the social context in Acts chapter five is completely different than today, right? Sure. Like religious activity daily was a practice culturally 
of the people at that time. Right. You know, like these were people that were obviously deeply committed to, you know, this religion that at the temple, there were people there every day. Right. Like that doesn't happen today. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't like I'm thinking about that. Like they had this natural place where they were going to go where people were at least thinking about religious things. They were religiously minded people interested in things of God, even though they were rejecting Jesus. But yet they had this thing that like, that was like, like we go to the mall every day. They went to the temple every day. Right. And so I'm just like, you know, I'm just reading this and go, what is that? Like, what does that look like? Like today, you know, like they always talk about, like, like you should have a third place that you go to, and, mm-hmm. you know, like I, you know, and so I've tried to have some of those in the past, but the mindset there is just not a mindset of people are just like, man, I'm ready just to think about God today. So let's just sit down and have a conversation with about God, which I would think would be is what's going on here in Acts 5. And I don't know. I guess I've just been wrestling with how does that look today? Because we are so culturally different now than like in Acts chapter 4 back then does that make sense of course it does so i'm curious what your answer is i have no clue that's why i'm asking you i I just i don't know so i think some of it is a challenge of the mindset of the people we're trying to minister to right right um some of it is a challenge of our own mindset though right so like i'll just i'll give you an example all right so i've been to taiwan on three mission trips and um I would say every time I went, I probably shared the gospel multiple times a day. So why is that? That's, that's the question to ask, right? Mm. Um, well, some of it is my, my mindset, no question, um, that I'm going with the expectation that I'm looking to start spiritual conversations and you know, possibly because I'm not worried about, oh, what's my reputation going to be like or are they going to think I'm weird because you know, I'm already the the foreigner literally in this case. Right. Um, I'm just not worried about that. So I do think some of it is that we just don't have the mindset that that's how we're thinking. Like when, like, let's say you go to scooters as your third place, like, um, to go to scooters with the mindset, I'm going to share the gospel today is different than going with, I'm going and hopefully I can build a relationship and eventually share the gospel. So, and you know, would that be wise to have that mindset always going to scooters? I don't know maybe it would be um, right so a, a more difficult question is what do we like is is it easier to share in taiwan like i'll just use them as an example because i've been there is it easier to share in taiwan because they're more receptive um and you know what what do we make of that like i right. I'll, I'll just be honest like i wrestle with that sometimes like right. do is is there wisdom in me going and moving to a place that has more receptiveness to the gospel like right. um just for the record i'm in case anyone's wondering is he going to move next week like i'm not planning to but i like that's a question that Tony and i legitimately have on a regular right. basis like is is this uh shake the dust off your feet type scenario where the america is just cold to the gospel so right I mean, I'm just wrestling out loud here. I'm sure. not saying I know the right answer. So I think some of it is our own mindset. Some of it is it's just a hard culture. Right. Um, and we have to figure out how to minister in that hard culture. And, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't look the same as it does when I'm in Taiwan, but I think there's got to be ways where we get in spiritual conversations here. And it, maybe it just it can't look the way it used to. And so we just need to rethink, what does it look like to engage a culture that's post-Christian? Right. Or, in our case, extremely cultural Christian, and yet... 
still post-Christian. Right. That's kind of how it is says Fremont, right? Like we're a cultural Christian town right. or area, and yet in some ways we're very post-Christian. Like, well, that's right. tricky. So I don't know. I'm just going to ramble for a little bit, so I'm curious what your thoughts right. are. I mean, talking about your mission trip reminded me of, so when I was at our church in Olathe and I took our high school students on a mission trip to Ecuador, and you know, there is something about when you're an American in a third world country, whether you want it or not, there's kind of a celebrity status about you, right? Sure. Um, everybody's interested in talking to you. Uh, and and so we did. We found that people were open to the gospel, were receptive to the gospel. Um, and so our students were fired up, like after that trip. They were fired up. And I remember we were flying home. We were supposed to fly to Dallas, but there was a thunderstorm. And so they diverted us to New Orleans to wait for the thunderstorm to die over. And so we were just kind of flying around and waiting. And then we had to land, but we couldn't get off the plane because New Orleans was not an international uh, airport. Oh, okay. And so so our students started talking to people on the plane. Like, they were so fired up. They're like, we're going to talk to Jesus, you know, the people who were sent to on the plane. And then finally, when we did get to, I don't remember if it was Dallas or Houston, but when we finally did get to the international airport and we got off, we were delayed because everything was delayed because of the storm. And so we were there at the airport just waiting for hours. And students were like, we're, you know, so they went out in groups. We're going to go talk to people about Jesus. And by the end of the night, all of our students were completely discouraged because they were like, nobody's interested in talking to us about Jesus. Right. And like, it was this hard, like reality check of seeing what it was like to be at a place like Ecuador and then to come back to a place like United States and to see the openness and then the people that were not open at all to the gospel. It's hard to know what to do with that. I mean, it I think is, I think is. there is I think there is a sense in which we probably just need to rethink how we've done evangelism, like in this in in the culture that we're in, right? And right. And I don't know for sure what that looks like. Although, you know, I would I would still say like some of it is just a function of sharing a lot. Like the the friends that I have that are most successful in sharing the gospel, they just talk to a lot of people about Christ, and they get rejected a ton. But they just chalk that up to that's the way it works, right? Like, and so mm. if one out of ten people are interested, to them, the one person was interested, and that's one more than wouldn't have been interested. I'd had none of those conversations, right? So the right. nine are just a casualty of of having conversations and just realizing not everyone's going to be interested. So I, I think there is a sense where you know we probably just need to a die to ourselves and realize you know some of that rejection is part of what we're seeing here, right? I, I mean, we shouldn't be in the picture like. Oh, in Acts 5, like everyone's really receptive to this message. Like, I mean, they're about to be killed, right? right like, right. so th- certainly there is some receptivity to it, but there's also a lot of opposition to it as well. So right. some of it is we probably need to be willing to live with a little bit more opposition and develop a thicker skin. Um, some of it is we maybe need to rethink how we're doing evangelism. And then, you know, there's the third harder question. Like, what is, do you go to a place that's more receptive? Um you know, I don't know. Like, so those those are things I just think through. But I, I think some of it, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Like, for me, my mindset just needs to be a little bit different here. That I, I need to be thinking. My goal here is that people know Christ, um, not because right. they're a project or because you know I feel better about myself, but because it's the greatest news ever told. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think for me, it's just a mindset shift. Was where I would start the answer to that question. I guess. Right. Right. And I do think that they obviously, you know, they're praying for boldness. You know, we've seen a theme of prayer go throughout the book of Acts. You know, that's where the work begins, right? And 
and to say, yeah. Okay, so I, I let me follow up on that. Like, I, so my question would be, what would you attribute their courageousness to? So right. it sounds like part of what you'd attribute to is their prayerfulness. Right. I would. I would say two things. I would say their prayerfulness and then the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Sure. Because these are the same guys in Acts five, you know, saying we must obey God rather than men that were hiding behind locked doors after the death of Christ, right? Yeah. So how do these guys change in a matter of months? Well, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And then, you know, I think in Acts 4, where we looked at a couple of weeks ago, you know, the believers prayed for boldness. And what do we see happening here now? They're being incredibly bold. Yeah. You know? And I think that's always like, you know, that's the dangerous prayer to pray, Right. Say, okay, sure. God, would you give me boldness so that I can just talk to Christ freely to anybody? And I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I want to pray that prayer. Right, sure. <laughs> because what's going to come you're gonna if, have to I, be bold. if I'm going to pray that prayer? But then I also think about the fact that, well, if I'm going to pray for God to give me boldness, he's going to give me boldness in the way that I want to be bold, right? Hmm. Yeah, explain. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't think it's going to be like, okay, God, I want you to give me boldness. And he gives me a reluctant boldness. Oh, right. Sure. You know, that I'd be think, a joyful boldness. Is that yeah. That it would be like, I want to be bold. Not like, well, I guess I need to be bold now. So here we right, go. Right. Right. That I think it, I think that is the true heart transformation to say, okay, God, make, make me bold for you and really make that happen in my life to the point where like, I don't care what happens. Yeah. Like I don't care the consequences of being bold. Like right. I think that's what true boldness means. And that's where I think I would recognize true boldness has come is that I'm bold and I don't care how people feel about me or how they view sure. me or their opinion about me is. Yeah. I, I would agree with what you just said in terms of, um, you know, their prayerfulness and their dependence on the Holy Spirit are a huge key to why they're so courageous. I think the other thing that I thought about a lot this week, so I, I was I was talking with a guy in the church um, this, this last week and we were just talking about, you know, what stuck out in the book of Acts. And he just made the observation. I'm, I'm, I've been surprised by how much the resurrection comes up in comparison to how much we talk about it. Hmm. And so, as I thought about that more, um, hmm. I think, I think one of the functions of us not emphasizing the resurrection as much as the early church did is that we lose the sense of how powerful an event that was and how it should be transforming for us. Hmm. What I mean by that is, like, if we're just always thinking about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, we just I mean, that's a good thing to think about. Don't get me wrong. But where you end up with that is just thinking, well, I'm just grateful I'm forgiven. Um, mm -hmm. But if you think about the resurrection, you're like, okay, I'm victorious in Christ. Like, I can be more bold, right? Like, because I know Jesus rose from the dead. I know that there's not a thing they can do to me or say to me that will change the fact that I'm victorious in Christ, right? So, mm -hmm. in other words, I, maybe the cross is about forgiveness, which is good, mm -hmm. but the resurrection is about the victory we have in Christ and mm -hmm. something that we don't talk about enough. And so I wonder, and this is just me speculating here, but I do wonder if if one of the downfalls of us not talking about the resurrection that much is that we kind of um, lose some of the powerful part of the message of the gospel. Um, and so, you know, if, if you go, like in the first five chapters, I haven't counted but the resurrection is is mentioned a lot. Right. Um, and in fact, throughout the book of Acts, like in their little speech, there's a lot of speeches in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. The amount of times that the resurrection comes up is, it's, I, I would bet it's pretty astounding if you were to compare it to the cross. Right, to count them up. Well, I think they're always together. I mean, it's in verse 30, right? The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. 
I'm not denying that Israel. I'm not denying that the cross comes up in Acts, but right. I, I would almost guarantee you that the resurrection comes up more than the cross. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to have that. You know, the well, that's the model. We need to talk about the resurrection more than the cross. But I do think we need to at least talk about them equally. Right. Is my point? Right. Um, because I think when we don't talk about the resurrection, we lose some of the powerful nature of the gospel message that he rose from the dead, he conquered death, and in Christ we have victory too. Isn't right. I mean first Corinthians fifteen is making that argument. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel message. Right. Um, and because Christ rose from the dead, he's the first fruits that we too will be raised from the dead. And that no matter what people do to us, we have victory in Christ. And so I I just wonder if if we thought about the resurrection more and its implications for us, then perhaps we'd be more bold for that reason also. But I, not not to say like well, to the exclusion of prayer and the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that at all. They all go hand in hand. But I just think us neglecting the resurrection potentially has some implications that we lose some boldness and some courage and some confidence. Yeah, and even thinking about, I like your point that you brought out, the implication of the resurrection is is victory. Because I do think you fight differently when you know victory is at hand, right? Yeah. Like you think about Lord of the Rings and the moments where the 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 victory is not guaranteed and it looks like the the heroes are going to lose there's this sense of we're losing but then there's this always this moment of like here is our moment to see victories at hand and it's always a rallying point sure to say yes let's go fight because we know victory is at hand and that's inspiring and to think about the 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 resurrection of christ is a victory is the final victory that means that we can't lose, right? Right. No matter who rejects us or who thinks less of us or who cuts off a relationship with us or, or whatever we think can come to us because we share Christ with someone, we still win. Right. Right. All right. So anything else on that? Because I want to go a no, little different direction. That's here. thoughtful. No, I think that's good. Okay. I want to ask you a little bit about verse 15. So that, like, I didn't get into this a lot yesterday, um, but sometimes I like chasing the rabbits a little bit here in the podcast just because I think sometimes people want to know about it. Oh, yeah. So they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats. As Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Okay, so uh, first of all, it doesn't say for sure that a shadow was healing people. It's just right. it's possibly they're just being superstitious. Okay. Right. But there's certainly, you're at least led to believe that maybe that type of thing's happening. I'm pretty sure later in Acts that hanker, Paul's handkerchief touches people and does heal them. Right. So my question is should we expect that type of activity now? Right. Um, if so, why don't we see it more? If not, why wouldn't we expect that activity now? Right, and then verse six, 16 too, right? The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty bold statement too. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does say all were healed, so it does make you think all were healed. Well, I do think one of the things that you do see as we continue to go through on the book of Acts is that there is a special work of the apostles that take place, right? You know, like we're going to come in, in, in uh, chapter, was it chapter 8? When, when Philip goes to Samaria and, and, and they're starting to come to Christ, but Peter and John have to come 
for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that they could receive the Holy Spirit, right? It does seem to indicate that there is a special work that is taking place in the life of the 12 apostles that not necessarily everybody else is doing in Acts. Right. And so I've always kind of felt that when you read passages like this, like this was a special, I don't know if you want to call it dispensation or not, but a special movement of the Holy Spirit working in the early church, bearing witness to the power of Christ through the apostles that was specific at that particular time for this particular purpose. So you would say healing by handkerchiefs or shadows probably isn't going to happen now. Uh, I'm not going to limit what God can't do because I think he could very easily do that. But I do think that, um, I mean, outside of like really Peter and, and John and Paul, you don't read about other people doing these type of things in, in the book of Acts. So I would say that there was something unique that was going on in the early church at the birth of the church. Um, that even though it still could happen today, I just don't think it does happen today like it did in this particular moment. I think that's probably fair. I mean, I, I think I'd probably land in a similar place that I think there is something unique going on here with the inbreaking of the church. Right. Um, you know, I will say if I ever hear reports of more miraculous activity leading to salvations, like, it does happen on the mission field. Now, right. I've, I've never seen it personally, but I've heard it from people right. that I would trust that they've seen that type of thing on the mission field where the gospel is first breaking into a place for the first time. Right, much like Acts. Right. Places where the gospel is in, making an impact in, in entering into the culture for the very first time. You do see little mini Acts, mini Pentecost things taking place, right? Right. Now, I, I think you're right to say we shouldn't we shouldn't rule out that God could still do that now. Um Right. But I think the danger is like you have the, the Benny Hens of the world or the the charismatic teachers telling you, Well, I'm gonna sell you my my handkerchief and I'll make you better where they're really I think co opting um these passages in really unhelpful ways to make it sound as if like the I, I think it was still a, first of all it was a miraculous work. Not right. something that you can just do by buying a handkerchief on the internet. That doesn't right. seem like how the spirit was working here in Acts. Like right. it was miraculous. It probably wasn't all that common. It was just happening as the church was breaking in. So, excuse me. If if someone's taking this as normative, that this is well, this is the way it's always going to be. I I just don't know that we see a lot of evidence of that past Acts. Um, like there's not a lot of commands to do that type of thing in say Galatians or Ephesians, right? Right. So. I would tend to agree with you that I, I think God could still work that way, and maybe in some cases where the gospel's first breaking in overseas in places where there's little to no gospel presence, he still does work that way, at least from reports I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's probably abnormal and rare and a, a special work of the Spirit, not something you buy on the Internet, right. just for the record. Right. Because I also think in, in, like in Acts 5, I mean, these things are happening to point people to their need for Jesus, right for salvation. I mean, that's what I, that's where I always thought. Like in in the Gospels and even in Acts, what's the purpose of the miracles? The purpose of the miracles is to point to the deity of Christ and your need for Jesus to not only heal you physically but save your soul. Right. Um, and you don't get that from the Benny Hens, right? Sure, that's right. not, it's not. It's not ultimately about Christ. It's about them, right? Right. It's about them, or it's about like let's just meet your felt needs. Right. 
and let's not proclaim you need this Jesus to save you. Right. You need Jesus for salvation. Um, and so I do think that the motivation of the Benny Hens of the world are different than the motivation of what was going on in Acts. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think what you're saying is evidenced by the rest of the passage in verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So the, right. these signs and wonders were connected to belief, right? Right. And then obviously at the end of verse 42, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's the substance of their message. Right. That Jesus is the Messiah. It's not that you can be healed, right? It's right. that Jesus is the Christ. Right. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to say, at the very least... That this this type of activity would never be disconnected from a preaching of Jesus as a Christ, mm-hmm. right? Right. All right. Anything else in Acts five you want to talk about? I don't think so. You got anything else you want to hit? Uh, well, let's talk about verse thirteen for a second. Okay. Again, like when you're preaching thirty some verses, it's just hard to know what to leave out and what to leave in. Um, so. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. That's a curious phrase, right? Verse 12, that not now many signs and wonders were regularly done, done among the apostles by the hands of the apostles, and they're all together in Solomon's portico. portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Do you have any thoughts about what's going on there? I mean, I have some thoughts, and I'm happy to launch into them, but if you have some thoughts, I'd be happy to hear them. Uh, so I guess what did they, uh, none of the rest dared to join them in what? Right. My assumption is going to be looking at the passage is trying to do signs and wonders. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think the the general idea, the, the most compelling argument I saw is that, that this is probably talking about believers that were hesitant to maybe join in with, with the apostles because they were afraid of being associated with them and getting persecuted like them. Um, but like even still, they were held in high esteem. So it wasn't that right. they're like, they, they were... You know, saying, well, we don't believe these guys. It's just that they're a little hesitant, maybe because of their own fear of persecution, possibly. Uh, but the argument against that would be that, you know, the early church was praying for boldness. And so it seems odd. Right. But, you know, I don't know. Even still in verse 14, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So even though there's some who didn't join them, and may- maybe, maybe you're right. Like, that that's a compelling potential argument too. That maybe maybe they just felt like the apostles uniquely have this power, so we wouldn't dare to try what they're doing. That's kind of what you're suggesting, right? Right. Maybe yeah, that's it's what's going done, on. The the signs and wonders are done among the people by the hands of the apostles. I also wonder if and none of uh, and and um, I wonder if there's a little bit of connection back there to Ananias and Sapphira too. You know, so you just had this judgment come right, on sure. these two people for doing something out of wrong motives or. Right. And so is like, I mean, I'm wondering, is there, is there a little bit of a connection there? I'm just thinking this off the top of my head that said, Hey, you know what? We better make sure to watch what we're doing because remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? I don't want that to happen to us. So maybe we need to make sure we're at a right place for the motives for doing the things that we're doing or not doing. I don't know. So the the answer I think in verse 13 is, I don't know for sure what that means, but let me tell you why I even brought it up. Like, I I appreciate that the Bible records things as they actually happen, rather than trying to make it like this is not a propaganda piece where we're just trying to make it sound like everything's great and like no one's questioning anything. Like, well, okay, there's there's some hesitancy by some for some reason, right? Like, perhaps they were afraid that they couldn't do it, or perhaps they were afraid of what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Perhaps they were afraid of persecution. Like, 
But, you know, maybe they were just humble and realized, I don't think we can do this. I don't know. Like, but there's just, I, like, to me, that just rings of, hey, this is an actual count. The reason why Luke tells us that is because this is what happened. That's none of the rest there joined them in their activity. Don't know why, but overall, they were held in high esteem. And more importantly, the Lord was adding to their number every day. Right. So I think, I, I don't know. I, I just, I find that to be refreshing that it's included in there because it's like, I don't even know what we're talking about there, but I'm just glad Luke's trying to tell me how it actually happened. And it gives me confidence that the Bible is the word of God and that it's not trying to just, you know, snow us and, and pull the wool over our eyes to make us think, oh, everything's always easy. Wouldn't Clearly in this passage, it's not. And there's even some hint here that even amongst the believers, there's some, should we join them or not? Like, I think that's actually refreshing. So oddly enough, that, that little inclusion was encouraging for me this week. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. All right. I don't have anything else from Acts 5. Do you have anything else? You know, I always think that the Pharisee, how do you say his name? Gamil? Gamaliel. Gamaliel. I don't know. Yeah. You know, that was such an interesting insight that he had. Yeah. You know, that I think that, you know, and I've heard this argument before that there were Christ-like figures that rose up all the time in this time in history. Like it was not unusual for someone to come to to come and be like a revolutionist or a insurrectionist sure. or even claim, you know, a messiah ship about them. You know, and that this showing that, you know, a lot of these guys rose up and it died off and he proved to be right. Right. If this is God, you will not be able to stop them. And yeah, I, I think to me, the the most encouraging thing about that is that God actually provided this guy to save the apostles. Right. Right. Like his right. speech saves the apostles right. from being executed. Right. And so it's just a reminder, God's going to use whatever means he wants, including a non-believer who probably is speaking better than he knows. What right. I mean by that is that I don't think he even understands the full implications of what he's saying. Right. And like I pointed out yesterday, I think there's actually some holes in his arguments if you poke enough. But I think right. in, the, in the big picture, he's right. And he was speaking better than he knew. And God right. was actually using him to spare the apostles. So that's, to me, that's an encouraging thing that he'll use even non-believing Pharisees to rescue his apostles because he'll do whatever it takes to get his plan accomplished. Yeah, because in verse 33, they wanted to kill them all. Right. Like you've got all 12 gathered and they're ready to kill them all. Like this could have been the moment where... It would have been a pretty blow, big blow for the church, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. To kill off all the apostles. And yet God protected yep. at that point. Through the speech of a non-believing guy. Right. Yep. Right. All righty. Well, next week we are in Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7. So for those of you whose legs are still tired from standing from 30 verses last week, <laughs> next week is your week. I can't promise anything after that because the following week is a really long section, and I don't even know how we'll handle that exactly. But next week is a short one. Acts 6, 1 to 7, Stephen, or 7 chosen to serve, including amongst them Stephen, who will play a pretty important role in both chapters 6, 7, and beginning part of 8. So all that to say... Dive into that this week. The Word of God, as always, is a treasure. Uh, Keep digging because it's worth it. And in the meantime, have a great week.